Thank you guys so much for rocking this house. <laughs> oh, man. I remember when I first heard that song, I was like, holy cow, this must be an anthem for exiles everywhere. Like, for goodness sakes, it is, it is a pump up, pump you up type song right down to the core, right? I'll take back my freedom or die in vain. I've heard the cry, I'd rather die than live in exile. Like Louis singing, he did much better than I did. So I don't sing. <clears throat> now, um, yeah, it's an intense song. That's intense. Uh, I actually think that song's relatively easy for us um, because of where we live to like kind of resonate with, to kind of understand and, and think, yeah, absolutely. I'd rather die than live in exile. Most of us in this room don't really, really know what it feels like not to be free, right? We live in a country and a culture where freedom rings. I'm like, praise God for that, honestly. However, when we feel our freedoms are infringed upon, we tend to get pretty upset. Some of us get our hashtags ready. <laughs> it's kind of a little, little joke there, okay? Um, other, other, others of us, <clears throat> we might go find a, a crowd to yell in. Some people get violent, even. And I've seen all of these actions justified in our culture. Right or wrong? Right or wrong, this is what resistance looks like in our culture today. But what, what does resistance look like when it comes to the way of exile? When it comes to what we find in the scriptures? What does it look like? This way of exile that I'm referring to is a way that I believe Jesus modeled for us, but Daniel before him. And so, in this series, the book of Daniel has become our map, our roadmap, or our guide for this series on what it looks like to live in exile. Are you guys with me? Okay. Can we just take a moment to pray? Because I think we're entering into some stuff, some tension, I think, for all of us. And so I just want to invite God into this moment. He is my focus. His scriptures are my focus. And that is my ultimate goal, to be obedient to the word. So let's pray. Let's pray for that moment. God, we lift you up. You're so good. You're so good. And it is so good to be your people. So God, we thank you for that. God, this morning as we dive into um, a book that really explains the theme of exile of your people so well, as we dive into this, it's challenging. <clears throat> it's challenging. It's provocative. It's difficult. And so I pray for your grace and I pray for your mercy. I pray for our hearts to be softened as we dive into a challenging word. God, we love you, and we praise you, and you are what this is all about. Jesus, is in your name we pray, amen. Amen, okay, brief overview. 
All right, brief overview. The book of Daniel tells the story of four Israelites who are taken captive from their home in Jerusalem, and they find themselves exiled in Babylon. All right, and Babylon is a foreign land. It's a foreign culture for these, for these young men, and it's the story of their struggle to be faithful to their God in a godless culture. Okay, and so um, there are, in the book of Daniel, there are some really popular stories that many of you are likely, probably, pretty familiar with. Okay, through children's media, um, specifically through talking vegetables, right? Okay, yeah, I figured. Okay, and then there are also like dreams and visions that you might be probably less familiar with because they're kind of strange and confusing and sometimes pastors just kind of skip over them when they're teaching from Daniel, um, unless you're really into like end times stuff. Um, and, and then if that's you, uh, then you've probably read them and you probably think the world's ending sometime soon. I don't know. I don't know how you relate to Daniel this morning to this book, but I am encouraging you, you should read and relate to this book. It is, a, it is an important book in the scriptures, and let me be clear that all, I believe all of the scriptures are important. However, this one specifically, especially to Jesus, I think is, is important for us today. Okay, so last week we read through chapter one, right? We just, we just went through it together. And that was fun. This week we were skipping over chapter two um, because I'm one of those aforementioned pastors. Um, so I'm just, I'm just, we'll, get to, we'll get to the dream. And if you didn't know, does anyone know what chapter two, chapter two is a dream? Okay, we're, we're just gonna skip it for now and we'll come back to it later. Don't, don't worry about it. Um, but today we are gonna be reading through chapter three, Daniel chapter three. And so I'm gonna invite you to follow along if you've got your Bibles uh, or if you have the app, go ahead and open your, uh, whatever that looks like for you, open it up to Daniel chapter three. We're gonna start in verse one. Okay, sound good? Sweet. All right, if you don't have that, it's always going to be right behind me. Okay, no worries. Um, so, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, I might refer to him as King Neb sometimes because it's just like, that's, it's a long, long one to say. Kim, when I was writing it, I would shorthand it to King Neb because it's just a long one. Okay, so King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Okay, and so now, if you've read chapter 2, okay, this, this might be, sli- you might be slightly confused by this. Okay, and we didn't because reasons. Like I said, we'll get there. But anyway, in chapter 2, King Neb, okay, he has this dream about a giant statue made from gold and other metals and other materials, and then that statue gets absolutely obliterated by a rock. Okay, Daniel then interprets this dream uh, for King Neb and reveals to him that the statue is, is, is partially, the statue again, that gets crushed, that gets crushed and then, and then just de- demolished, partially represents King Neb and his kingdom. So then the first thing we read, right, makes sense. The first thing we read in, in chapter 3 is, uh, is King Neb builds a giant statue of gold that represents his kingdom, right? About as sharp as a marble, that guy is, Okay. <laughs> All right, so we're going to keep going. Then, this is verse 2. He summoned, so King Nebuchadnezzar then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, and magistrates, and all other uh, provincial officials. And this is just a list to signify that all the important people in Babylon came. Okay? All All the government officials came to this. Okay? To come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So, here we go again, okay. Uh, So, the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of this image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Okay, and so, that's, that's kind of the scene. 
you've got this, this giant 60 cubits. Anybody know how tall that is? Okay, I Googled it for you. It's also like in any Bible, you're going to have like a, little, like a little code in the back that tells you, hey, 60 cubits, about 90 feet tall. So, uh, for example, I think Blair told me this ceiling is about 30 feet. Blair, is that right? Okay. So, like multiply this room by three. That's, that's about what you're looking at of, uh, of, of a statue, okay? And then all of the officials, all the officials of Babylon are around, okay? So then a herald, verse four, the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound, okay, here's another list, here we go. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music. You must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. That's intense. All right, okay. That's, uh, again, this, it's, it just kind of paints the scene. Like, Nebuchadnezzar is a guy that, if he wakes up on the wrong, I know I said this last week, but I'm going to say it again. If he wakes up on the wrong side of the bed, heads roll, literally. Off with your head, essentially. That kind of, that kind of king. Okay, so if you don't bow down and worship when you hear the sound of all those instruments, if you don't, you're going to be thrown into a blazing furnace. Okay, therefore, as soon as they heard, this is verse 7, as soon as they heard the sound, of, here we go again, the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations, every people, and every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that Kim Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Okay, so this decree had been sent out to everyone to worship the image Okay, which again, it's, it said image. We're not, we don't know if it's, if it's a statue of, of Nebuchadnezzar himself, if it's a statue of, of like a, a Babylonian deity. We don't know. It doesn't specifically say. Regardless, we know what it represents, and it represents the nation and kingdom and culture of Babylon. Okay, of power and self-exaltation, and the decree is everyone needs to worship it. Okay, so they're just, the author is just setting the stage here. Babylon is being presented to the readers as this like iconic, like um, arch- archetypal a representation of the most powerful empire at the time, at the time being, okay, exalting its own power, culture, kings to the place of the gods, and even up over. And so, and then everyone else is being asked to worship. And like, it doesn't mean like, hey, you're gonna, we're going to sing a song. It's not just about singing songs. This isn't just just singing a praise song in front of the statue and then you're good to go. But worship in a sense of declaring their allegiance, their allegiance to this image and what it represents. Okay, are you all with me? Following along in the story, we're good? Okay, we're going to keep going. All right, verse 8. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever, which is probably a really wise thing to say to someone who, like, if you, woke up on the, if you woke up on the wrong side of the bed, off with your head. Okay, so may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of, here we go again, the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, will bow down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Right, we learned about that last week in chapter one, okay? Because of their resolve, they didn't compromise, okay? They were set, they were lifted up in Babylon. They were set over as officials, okay? So over province, affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, okay? Or Rakshak and Benny, if you're 
a fan of, okay, the bunny, all right, the bunny, all right, that's just me, I knew that one. All right, these people, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty, does that date me? Does that, does that date me now? All right, here we go. All the students are like, we have no clue what you're talking about, okay? So, all right, I'm, I'm officially old. Here we go. Um, they pay no attention to you, your majesty, okay? They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Okay, so they did, they did three things there. They pointed out three things to King Neb, and they connected three things, okay? They, they t- King Nebuchadnezzar, they don't honor you, okay? They don't honor you and your imperial power, as, as king, as ruler, okay? And they don't honor the gods who give you that power. And they also don't honor the, the kingdom, which is, or this image, which, is, which represents the culture and the nation and the empire of Babylon, okay? So to not bow down in this moment was not only very subversive, but also a threat to the king and Babylon because they do not conform to this exaltation of this nation and its power. Verse 13. So furious, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar, he summons Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and King Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, is it true, Shadrach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now, When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, good, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. He continues and he says, then, then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? What we have here is clearly a man who is just intoxicated with his own power, who even equates himself to a God here in that moment. That's what he's doing. Then what God will rescue you? There is no God that can rescue you because I am God. Babylon's God is essentially what he's saying here. Your life is in my hands is what he's telling these men. Well, let's look at their response. Let's look at the response. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, now, Before we go, before we go there, what we should all be expecting here, okay, is something along the lines of filthy pagan blasphemer, our God will destroy you, don't you dare lay a hand hand on us or else, you dirty idolatrous heathen, hashtag not my king. (laughs) Okay, okay, but that's not what they do. Is it? What is the response? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But, Even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. This could possibly possibly be like, they couldn't be more polite, essentially, right? 
They could not be more kind and polite. That's like the most polite rebellion I think I've ever seen. Okay? They couldn't be more polite. Like, they even address him as king and your majesty. Okay? But, but again, to them, it's, it's not up to debate. It's not up for debate for them. You're not God, and neither is Babylon. So if you want to kill us, fine. Fine. That's fine. Our God will deliver us. Or he won't. <laughs> or he won't. Either way, you're not God, and I'm sorry, but it's not up for debate. Like, how infuriating would this be if you're kingdom and a Like, they're the nicest people. They are the nicest people, but now you've got to kill them. Okay? That's essentially what's, what's about to happen. So then, then, King Nebuchadnezzar was furious. He was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie him up, to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, they went wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. Okay, the king's command was so urgent, right? They didn't, even, they didn't even put him on trial. Okay, they didn't even take him to, into holding or anything like that. They threw him in. They didn't even strip him down. They just, they threw him in. They tied him up and threw him in. Okay, and so with haste is the point. And the furnace, we continue reading, and the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men were firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. There's something important here I want to point out. When a nation exalts itself and deifies its own power and rule, human life, the sanctity of human life, becomes less valuable. The king will throw away human lives to destroy the lives of those who oppose and offend him. When nations idolize themselves, human lives become of less worth. The King Nebuchadnezzar, we continue reading in verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, wait, weren't the, well, hold on, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they were, could you imagine saying no to this guy? So they replied, certainly, your majesty. Like, again, would you ever say anything other than, than disagree with him? He said, look, King Nebuchadnezzar, look, I see four men walking in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth, the fourth looks like a son of the gods. A son of the gods? What does that mean? Okay, in other words, a divine being or an angel or a messenger, okay? You might have heard it. You might have heard some people interpret this as, as Jesus because the Sunday school answer is always Jesus, okay? Right? It's always Jesus, okay? So you might have heard that before, but, but really in this moment, it's just, it's just a, a, a divine being, a, a, a godly figure is in the fire with them, okay? And, and really the point of this, the point of this is to reveal that God was with them in the fire, that's the point. God was with them. It's not really about who. It's the fact that God was with them in the furnace. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. Now I want to point out something here. Did God deliver them from the fire? Did God deliver them from the fire? No. They still went into the fire. Now, were they delivered out from the furnace, out from the fire? Yes. But they still had to go into the furnace. So in one sense, they did not get delivered from the fire, but in another sense, they did. Okay? 
What they were not spared was going into the furnace. But then what we soon discover, what they soon discover, is that God was with them in the fire. In the furnace, God was with them. Verse 27, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them, and they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their heads singed, their robes were not scorched, and there was not a smell of fire on them. Essentially, they could just wear their clothes to work tomorrow, okay? Essentially. Then King Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent this angel and rescued his servants. They trusted him and defied the king's command. <laughs> totally funny that he's talking in third person there. Defied the king's command and they were willing to give up their lives. Just funny to me, maybe. Willing to give up their lives and serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation, language, who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Okay, so we're, we're kind of like, oh, dude, maybe this King Nebuchadnezzar, is, maybe he's a cool guy. Maybe he's a cool guy. Maybe he's starting to follow God here. Okay, so uh, any nation or language say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. Right, so we, we quickly take that back, okay? For no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So what is the story about? In this story, we have Babylon which throughout the scriptures is this archetype of self-exaltation of humanity and the kingdoms of man. And so, again, like you, you find Genesis, talked about this a little bit this week, and we'll talk about it next, the week after. You find Babylon in Genesis and then references all the way through the scriptures through and into Revelation, which is why understanding exile and the way of exile is so important to us to grasp as followers of Jesus. I've heard it said that the Bible isn't just some old book that tells us what happened, but rather the Bible is a timeless book that tells us what always happens. Babylon, the self-exaltation of man and the kingdoms of man will always exist until the day Jesus returns. But until that day, we live in exile. So how? What does that look like? Great question, right? However, also very complex and nuanced but one that we should always be considering. And I'm honestly not sure the Bible gives us a simple answer. Actually, I know that for a fact. The Bible does not give us a simple answer, but it does give us a story to live by as we seek to be loyal and obedient to Jesus and his kingdom. So how? How do we live in resistance How do we be in resistance in exile? Because it seems very clear to me that this story is advocating resistance. Resist, right? But resist what? We don't live in Babylon, do we? Friends, America might be more like Babylon than you think, and don't cancel me on for saying that, okay? Again, we'll get into that another time. But what are we resisting? In this story, we are to resist the temptation of nationalism or to equate your nation and the culture's values and way of life with the one true God of heaven. So in this story, we read, resist, resists at, resist at all costs, even if it means being thrown into a blazing hot furnace, because that's, because if you don't, that's the way of compromise. And compromise is the kryptonite of obedience, because compromise only leads to more compromise. And that's kind of what we talked about last week. That's the essence of it, okay? And it's just not the way of exile. And so maybe 
you're listening to this this morning, and it's not nationalism for you. And by nationalism, I don't mean patriotism. Don't get those two confused, okay? By nationalism, I mean when you mix politics and religion, and the kingdom of God is swapped out for your political party. Jesus is traded for your candidate of choice. And the way of Jesus is now the policies and the ideologies of the red and the blue. And so maybe it's not that for you. But I would encourage us to consider that question. But maybe it's not that for you. Perhaps it's something about the American way of life that is really easy for you to elevate over your allegiance to Jesus, over your allegiance to Jesus as king and as, as Jesus as a way of life, following in his way. So maybe there's something in the American society culture that you need to consider resisting. It could be secularism, money, materialism. It might be sexual freedom. It might be issues of justice or autonomy or radical individualism. Resist, Daniel would say. Resist. There are a lot of aspects of our culture that one could easily compromise on and find themselves walking an entirely different way than the way of exile. Resist. Resist how? What form of resistance should God's people take? What does it look like for God's people to resist? Well, in this specific story that we just read, and even really throughout the book of Daniel, which again, it's remarkable. It is remarkable what, what their resistance doesn't look like. It's remarkable because it looks almost nothing like our resistance that we see today. It doesn't take the form of public protest like we see today. And please hear me, I'm not saying that those things are bad or good, but just in light of what we read, okay, specifically the book of Daniel, it is not what we see. King Neb would have never known about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego if they weren't ratted out. He would have never known about them not bowing down in worship if they weren't ratted out. It was, it was just this peaceful non-participation And their non-participation didn't mean withdrawal. They served the kingdom of Babylon for God's sake, literally. Quite literally, for God's sake, they served the kingdom of Babylon. But it also didn't mean conform. As we see, they don't participate in the national idolatry. Though they dress like Babylonians, they talk like Babylonians. They even know more about Babylonian culture and the Babylonian gods than your average Babylonian would but they do not conform to the ways and beliefs of the Babylonians. They firmly walk that knife edge of faithfulness, the way of exile. Don't underestimate the power or influence of humble, peaceful, non-participation and what that can have on the people around you and the the culture around you at large. Believe me, your response will shine in the darkness of this world and its ways. However, it will also upset people. Jesus and Paul both promise us persecution. If you aren't feeling that tension, then it begs the question, are you living a godly life in Christ Jesus? Are you feeling the heat of the furnace? And maybe you are. Maybe you are this morning. Friend, maybe you're in the furnace today, right now. 
whether it's from persecution or the result of poor choices you've made. Can I remind you that God has not put you there and that God has not left you there, that God is with you. He was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he is with you there today. So can I just encourage you to trust him? Would you seek him? Would you allow him to deliver you in faith and trust that Jesus has gone before you and out the other side and wants to lead you out of the furnace into life? I don't know what this means for you today, but I do know that this has been a very challenging and convicting word for me. Last week was too. I really regret diving into the book of Daniel. but it's caused me to take a really hard look at what God's scriptures say about living in exile and living for God in a godless culture. So I'm sorry that I'm taking you guys along this journey with me. (laughs) But it is an important one. So I don't know, I don't know what things you're tempted to idolize in the ways that you've compromised that affects your life and the life of those around you. But I do know that there is a place. We word it like this. If, if there is a place, which I believe there is, if there is a place where love, mercy, grace, joy, and peace, where those abound, it is at the cross. It is at the feet of Jesus. It is in a community of of people who choose to live countercultural, who choose to look different from the world, who choose to be salt and light, who aren't perfect. I am not perfect. I'm not getting up here and, and preaching to you guys from perfection. If there is a place where love, grace, and mercy, and Lord, you know, where that abounds, it is, it is at the foot of Jesus. It is at the cross who has walked the path and paved it and paved our way for us. So I don't know where this lands for you this morning. I don't know what Daniel 3 speaks to you about personally, but it should speak to you. So I challenge you guys, I encourage you guys, dive into this book over the next few weeks with me and be open to the ways that God and his spirit are are, are trying to move in your life to bring you life. Amen? Can we pray? Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you again for this opportunity that I truly don't deserve. So God, we, we just were grateful. I come here with a humble heart and with gratitude, Lord, for, for just the work that you continue doing in my life and in the lives of those that I get to interact with here at Waypoint. God, for the ways that you are moving in our community by using people to bless 
this world for you. And by blessing this world, they bless you, God. And so I'm so grateful for this Waypoint community and for the ways that I've seen you grow and move here. And so, God, we just, we pray for that. We pray for courage to resist. We pray for resolve to not compromise. God, we pray that we look different in this world. And we don't look different because we want to look better or we want to feel like we, or we want to look like we have all the answers. But we look different because, God, we know the way that your kingdom works and we want to see your kingdom grow and flourish here on this earth. Use us, God. Use us in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our schools, in our work, in our homes. to bring your way, to show your way as we follow after you, Jesus. So God, we love you and we praise you this morning and we ask that you go before us this week and that we'd have the will to follow you. We love you so much. It's in your name we pray, amen.